This morning, we are going to start a brand new series that I am so excited about. I've been so pumped up about this for, for months now in anticipation of what God was going to speak to us. And so I'm just so excited to get into this and uh, to see what God has for us. And so um, this series is going to take us through the next 10 weeks. And so I, I, I mean it when I say put this on your calendars, make sure you're here each and every weekend because I truly believe that God wants to speak. So for the next 10 weeks, let's dedicate ourselves to this. And what we're going to be doing throughout that time is we're going to be doing a study of First John. Okay, we're going to take this book from the New Testament. We're going to dig in. We're going to see what God is trying to say through it so that we can be enlightened in our own lives. And I, again, I believe God has so much to say in and through it. But I will tell you from the beginning that this is going to be a slightly different series than we might typically present to you guys. And the reason I say that, just as kind of some background information, Usually when we begin to build out a series, it's typically pretty topic-driven, all right? So what we do is we try to find a relevant topic that we believe God is leading us towards, and then we'll, we'll build out this series in a nice flow and kind of a nice storyline that we can go down to see what God wants to show us. But this series is going to be different because what we will be doing for the next 10 weeks is reading through the Word of God and discovering truth together. We're going to be reading straight through the word of God and seeing what he wants to say. And in doing that, here's what I am hoping that we can gain from this. If you want to know what our objective is, then here are three things that I would encourage you to write down and give yourself to throughout this time. The first thing that I want to happen is that we might see Christ more clearly. That as we read these words and as we study and as we dig in, that we would see Christ for who he truly is. That's what I want to happen. The second thing that I want to happen is that we would become more like him. That as we see him more clearly, see him for who he is and for what he's done, that we would become like him, imitators of him. And then the third thing that I hope happens, and, and this is so important to me, is that that through the course of these 10 weeks that each and every one of us would fall deeply in love with the word of God. That's, that's so badly what I want. I want us to fall in love with the holy scriptures of what he has given us. That's what I want for us. In fact, um, just a few weeks ago, my family, we were sitting down at my house, my brother and his family and my parents, and we were just talking about the things that God has done in our lives. And we hadn't even talked about this before, but it was amazing. Each and every one of us said the thing that changed our life was when we got into the word of God ourselves, when we began to see what God wanted to speak to us through his word. And so I promise you, God can and will change your life through this if you will give yourself to it. And so I want us to fall in love with it. And so what that means for you is two things. Okay, let me challenge you right out of the gate with two things that I'm going to require from you guys. And the first is this. In order for us to truly get what God wants out of this, this is going to require a great deal of focus. Okay? I want us to be truly focused in on God's word so that we can truly see what he wants to say. And one of the reasons I say this is because um, each one of these messages isn't necessarily going to have like a perfect beginning, middle, and end. 
Okay, just the way that this is written doesn't necessarily give us that opportunity. So these are going to be the types of messages where if you do zone out for a few minutes, it's going to take you a little time to kind of catch back up to where we are. We're going to be bouncing around a little bit. And so I really want you guys to focus in on this, remove distractions so that we can lean into it with everything. Okay, the second thing is this is going to require you to do personal individual study from this book of the Bible. In other words, I don't want you to just rely upon our weekend sermons to get everything that God has for us. I want you throughout the week to be digging into this, to be learning for yourself, because there's so much to be gained from it. In fact, um, today we are going to go through four verses, the first four verses of this book. And I'm telling you, I had to delete pages and pages of notes that I just didn't have time to get into today. So I promise you, there's so much more out there to learn and to be gained from this. So dig into this with everything you have. In fact, over the next 10 weeks, if you just want to read this book over and over and over again, I would encourage you to do that. Now, the good news is this is one of the shorter books in the New Testament. We're talking about five chapters long, so it's not very long at all. I believe this is a reasonable request, and I want us to lean into it with everything we have, okay? Now, as I like to do before we really dig into the content of this series, I like to just start by laying a bit of a foundation that we can build upon. And since we're just gonna be reading through this book of the Bible together, what I wanna start by doing is just discussing a little bit of the background, the history, and the context of this book of the Bible. So we can understand as we read the words, what exactly is, is meant through it. And so the first thing that we need to understand is who is writing this letter, okay? Who, who the author is. And it's interesting because unlike most of the New Testament letters that we read, 1 John does not tell us explicitly who its author is. Is. As you read through this book, you will see that there's not a specific name that is attached to this. However, the early church fathers in the second and third century very quickly came to the conclusion that, that the author was John, the, the apostle John of now whom it's named after. And they looked at it by several different measures, okay, several different angles that they took. And the first one was um, the, the particular style of writing. And what they noticed is that it was eerily similar to that of the gospel of John. And sure enough, as you read through both of those books, you'll see many of the same phrases. You'll see many of the same expressions. You'll see the similarities between the two. And in fact, we will often bounce over to the gospel of John to really flesh out some of the ideas that John is trying to bring about. So you yourself will see that as well. The second thing that they noticed is the authority within the written word. They noticed that the author seems to speak with great authority. There were strong commands that were given. There were firm assertions that were being made, all of which would be expected from one of the original apostles. But then the last thing, and maybe the most important thing that they noticed, is that throughout this letter, the author seems to speak of a very intimate relationship that he had with Christ. He speaks of having an eyewitness testimony to the early days of Christ's ministry. He speaks to having followed him and spent much time with him. And all of this would certainly be characteristic of a man who called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so this is how we determine that John is indeed the author of this letter. Now, once we come to that conclusion, now we need to understand the, the timing and the context of when and why this was 
written. And when it comes to the timing of this, we really don't know any specific dates around when this was written. Again, nothing explicit within it shows us that. But what we can say is that it seemed to have been written sometime during the tail end of the first century. Okay, so that's where we're traveling back to. Given some of the topics that John is talking about, given that he seems to be writing this as an older man by this point, this is the best estimate that we can make. But what's really more important is the context. And we actually have quite a bit of information to go off of here because one of the foundational aspects of this letter is that it was clearly written during a time of controversy. So let me explain what I mean when I say that. As we look back to this point in history, there was a group of former followers of the faith who had strayed away, and they had strayed away so much that they actually began denying the incarnation of Christ. They began to deny the fact that Jesus was exactly who he said he was. And as they traveled further down this road, they now began to try to spread this falsehood throughout the community of active believers. So that's what's going on during this day and age. And this had apparently become such a trending issue that now the Apostle John, one of the leaders of the faith, decides to address this problem directly. So what we begin to learn as we look into the background and history of this letter is that First John was written with specific intent to destroy this false teaching, in particular when it comes to two ideas. And you can write this down because this will help guide us through this series. But two th- things that John was trying to show us, very simply, salvation and reflection. Salvation and reflection. So John writes this. And he's trying to say to them, despite everything that you're hearing from these false teachers, despite all of the rumors that are circulating, here's what I need you to do. I need you to look to Christ as Savior, and I need you to look to him as your ultimate example of life. This is what John wants to show them. And in fact, he's trying to, he's trying to strengthen them in this. He's trying to encourage them with this news. And this is the reason he writes this letter. So John writes this letter. Now we understand why he's writing this letter. Let's lastly talk about who he's writing this to. Who is the audience? Now, unlike most of Paul's letters that we read in the New Testament, John's letter was not necessarily written to a specific city or region, at least not to our knowledge. Nowhere do we see him addressing a certain place or a certain congregation. Rather, what we do see throughout this letter is that he was clearly writing this to believers. So as he's writing the words that we're going to read through the next 10 weeks, we have to understand that it was written with the intent of wisdom and guidance for the believer in Jesus Christ. And this is going to be very important for us to understand as we break down some of the ideals and principles that he brings about. Why he says certain things the way that he says them, okay? Now, before we begin to unpack our first few verses here, I want to make a quick side note as it relates to this topic. And that is, I want to bring you back to the words that the writer of Hebrews says. He says that the word of God is living and active. The word of God is living and active. So the reason I say that is because while John was writing this to a specific audience, And while he was writing it with a specific context in mind, it's important to understand that through the power of God's active word and the Holy Spirit within us, these words are absolutely relevant to us today. 
In other words, God is still speaking to his people through his word today. And so a big part of this series is going to be understanding what John was trying to tell the original readers of this letter, but for the purpose of understanding what God is trying to speak to us today. And this is why we have to lean in. This is why we we have to be intentional about hearing what exactly he wants to speak. And so I want to be sensitive to that. So what we're going to do is we're going to read through the first part of this letter. Again, the first four verses. These are really just John's introduction to his letter, and yet you're going to see that there's so much held within. So what we're going to do is we're going to read through this, we're going to say a word of prayer, and we're going to begin to dig in. Now, before we read this first verse, let me just say, this would be a a good series to bring your Bibles, to get your Bible apps ready, take notes, highlight things, because that's the whole point. We want to see the Word of God more clearly. We'll put it on the screen for you still, though. All right? 1 John chapter 1. First one, please follow along with me. It starts, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 4, these things we write to you, so that our joy may be made complete. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would open the hearts and minds of your people. Holy Spirit, that you would speak in only the way that you can, that you would meet us where wherever we're at, that you would give us the wisdom, you would give us the guidance, you would give us the revelation, you would give us the strength and encouragement that we need through your word, through your word, God. I pray that you would bless this series. I pray that you would bless your people in and through it, all for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as I mentioned from the beginning, this is um, really just the introduction to John's letter, and yet you're going to see that it's really jam-packed with so much good information. And so I really just want to start at the very top of this letter, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, and really just the, the first few words. And this is how John begins this letter. He says, what was from the beginning? What was from the beginning. He's only a few words into this letter and already so much is being revealed to us. And there are two things in particular that we need to grab from this. The first thing is that this is already out of the gate, one of those times that we see a direct correlation between 1 John and the gospel of John. The gospel of John chapter 1 verse 1 starts this way, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the word, what was from the beginning. Both of these letters start in almost the exact same fashion. And in fact, it's actually pretty cool because what scholars would later gather from this is that this uh, almost abrupt approach to revealing truth was very much characteristic of the Apostle John. He He was really quick to get to the point. Even more importantly, he was very quick to point to Christ in everything that he did and in everything that he said. So right out of the gate, we see this correlation between these two books and what John is writing. But the second thing that we take from this is much more important, and that is that we are five words into this letter, 
And John has already proclaimed the identity of Christ. Because when he says what was from the beginning, he's not saying what was from the beginning of time or what was from the beginning of creation. That's not what he's saying. That's where our minds go, but that's not what he's saying. When John says beginning, he's speaking of an origin before there was anything. When all that existed was God. That's what he means by beginning. Now, why is it important to call that out? Well, because John here is proclaiming that Jesus... This man that he knew, this man that he followed, this man that he spent much time with was from the beginning. In other words, that this man, Jesus, was indeed the son of God in the flesh. John will not mince words. He will not waste time from the very beginning. This is who we're talking about. This is who Jesus is. Now we continue on in verse one and into verse two. This is what he says. What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Verse two, and the life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested to us. Now we're gonna slowly begin to break this down and really see what John is communicating. But the first phrase that I wanna call your attention to is where he says, and the life was manifested, okay? Now when he uses the word life, what John is talking about is the very source of life. He's, he's talking about the giver of life, the fountain of life. He's talking about Jesus and he says that he was manifested, Now, when he uses the word manifested, he does not mean to create something. That's very important because scripture here is not saying that the son of God was created. That would be a deep air and doctrine and theology. And in fact, would go directly against what John has already said. John says what was from the beginning. In the beginning was the word. In other words, he's always been, he will always be. So that's not what he's talking about. When he says the word manifested here, he means to make something known. He means to display something, to reveal something. And this is what he has in mind when he says, and the life was manifested. He was revealed to us. Now listen, for first century Jews at this time who were long awaiting the coming Messiah, these words would have meant very much to them. Something deep within their hearts and minds would have clicked as they read these words. But again, there's another layer of importance here. Because I want to remind you that as we rewind to this particular day and age, and specifically the believers of this time, they were living in an era that was surrounded by this deep groundswell of of false teaching. Rumors are circulating, and in fact, by this time, word was very quickly spreading that everything that they had heard about this man, Jesus, was simply not accurate. It was not a reality. It was not truth. And so imagine with me for a second, first century believers in Christ who have given everything to follow Jesus. Listen to me. When I say they've given everything, I mean they have given everything to follow him. See, when we talk about sacrificing for Christ today, when we talk about picking up our cross, we, we think about carving out a few hours on the weekend to come to church. That's, that's our thought of sacrifice. We, we think about praying instead of watching TV. We, we think about having to pay our, our tithes. Like these things are monumental sacrifices to us. But listen to me, in the first century, to be a believer in Christ was to put your life and the lives of your family on the line. That's what it was. To be a first century Christian was to submit everything you have to follow this man, Jesus. 
And can you imagine with me for a moment that after doing that, after you put your, you and your family in harm's way, and after abandoning your job and, and your livelihood just to spread the gospel, all of a sudden, now word begins to spread that this guy, Jesus, he's not who you think he is. He wasn't different. He wasn't special. I mean, he certainly wasn't the son of God in the flesh. And as these early believers began to hear about this and, and, and maybe even began to wrestle with this, John decides to pick up his parchment and he sends this letter to say, hey guys, listen to me closely. The Messiah has been revealed. The, the Messiah has been made known to us. And here's how I know this. This is what John says, because I heard him. Because I saw him with my very eyes, because I touched him with my very hands. This is how I know that he has been revealed. See, John wants to ensure that the readers know everything you've heard about Jesus, everything you've believed about this man is true. He is the Messiah. He has come to earth. He has paid for your sins. Stand strong. Stand strong in your belief. Stand strong in your faith. This is what John wants them to understand. But then John continues on because now he wants to not only show them the reality of Christ, but he also wants to show them the personal nature of Christ. In other words, listen, guys, it's one thing to come to the realization that the, the Son of God became flesh, that he came to earth, that he did all of these amazing things. It's one thing to come to that realization. But what John here is really trying to show them is, is hey, guys, no, I, I actually knew him. Like, like, I actually had a personal relationship with him myself. See, this is why John deliberately uses such intimate language in verse 1. I don't know if you noticed this, but he says some interesting things. One of the things he said is, what we have seen with our eyes. He's saying, hey, listen, guys, I saw him with my eyes. Like, like, I can be deceived by a lot of things. I can be deceived by, by lies and by complex words. But no, I saw him with my eyes. Not only did I see him, but I saw him, I saw him feed the 5,000. Like, I saw him heal a blind man. I saw him raise a dead man to life, what we have seen with our eyes. He goes on to say what we have looked at. Not only did we see him, but, but we looked at him. Now, that might sound redundant on the surface, but, but it's actually not because this second phrase gives us a slightly different feeling, and that is instead of simply seeing Jesus and, and even seeing the things that he was doing, this second phrase, I love this, gives us the sense of almost lovingly gazing at him as Lord and Savior. Like, like you can almost picture John following him around during the days of his ministry and at times just like losing focus as he just lovingly gazes at Jesus. I love that. I started to think about how sometimes I do that with, with my little girl, three-year-old little daughter, and sometimes I just, I, I lose focus. I'm just, I'm gazing at how cute she is and how awesome she is, and sometimes even if I'm in a conversation with somebody, I don't hear a word they're saying because I'm just lovingly gazing at my little girl, and this is the sense that John is giving us he says, we, we looked at him, we gazed at his beauty, we got caught up in his love and in his grace. We saw him, we looked at him, but this is the last thing he said, what we touched with our hands. <laughs> what we touched with our hands. You can hearken back in scripture to even John himself as he leans against Christ at the Last Supper. I touched him. You can think about Jesus reaching down to pull a drowning Peter from the Sea of Galilee. We touched him. 
But the real importance of what John is really trying to communicate here is actually found in the book of Luke chapter 24. At this point in this gospel, Jesus has died on the cross. He's been buried. He's been resurrected to life. And he's now revealing himself to the disciples of which John is one. And this is what we read in verse 38. And he, Jesus, said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Verse 39, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, touch me and see. Jesus says, touch me and see. Maybe you think your eyes are deceiving you. Maybe you don't think that I've really been risen from the dead. I dare you to stand up and come touch me. See, what John is saying is, guys, I touched the resurrected savior of the world. I touched his hands. I I touched his side. What he's saying is he is risen and he is alive today. I touched him with my hands. See, guys, this is significant for so many reasons, but one of the reasons this is so important is because John has now gone from discussing his previous relationship with Christ to now his ongoing relationship with Christ. In other words, he says, yes, I saw him, I heard him, I gazed at him, but I still have a relationship today with my risen king. Yeah, yeah, he has ascended. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, but I still know him today as Lord and Savior of my life. And I want you to think about how much good news this would bring to the readers of this letter. Like, man, think about how happy they would be to hear this. Think about how happy we should be to hear this, because the truth of the matter is, guys, we don't get to see Jesus like John saw him. We don't get to touch Jesus like John touched him. It doesn't change the fact that we can very much have an active, loving relationship with him today. And in fact, this is the very reason that John immediately goes on to say this in verse three. He says, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. John is saying, hey, everything I'm explaining to you, you too can have this. You too can have this relationship with him. The word that stood out to me here is fellowship. One of the reasons it stood out is because I've joked in the past how I don't like this word because it just seems so old school to me. I heard it all the time growing up and it really meant nothing to me. And yet, as I began to study, this is such a meaningful, impactful word because when John says that we can have fellowship with him, he's talking, listen, he's talking about a shared existence. He's talking about a, a, a common life together. It's a living, sharing, loving relationship with another person. And what I love so much about it is that this is the type of relationship that John wants to have with these believers that he's writing to. Like, think about that. A sharing of life, a bond of love and sacrifice. Like, this is what he wants with the community of God's people. But what's even more amazing is he goes on to say that this is something we can have with him. This this level of depth, this level of intimacy is something that is available to us with him. And as I began to study this word more and more and more, I found a couple of quotes that I wanted to share with you today. I tried to cut one of these out, but I'm going to read both of them because I love them so much. I would encourage you to to write these down and continue to think on them. The first one here is from Albert Barnes. And I want you to think about I want you to think about this in relation to your fellowship with God. In other words, I want you to put yourself in these quotes and really figure out where you might stand. This is the first quote. He says, it, meaning fellowship, means that he, meaning John, partook in some respects of the feelings, the views, 
the aims, the joys which God has. That's fellowship. There was a union and feeling and affection and desire and plan. He had an attachment to the same things, loved the same truth, desired the same objects, and was engaged in the same work. And the consciousness of this and the joy which attended it was what was meant by fellowship. Now, again, I want you to take that away and maybe ponder that a little bit, what that might mean for you, what that might mean for your relationship with him. But I want to read you this second quote, because this is the one we'll dig into a little bit more. This is from George Campbell Morgan. He said this, those who have a fellowship one with another are those who share the same resources and are bound by the same responsibilities. We'll talk about that in a second. He says, the idea becomes almost overwhelming when it is thus applied to the relationship which believing souls bear to the Father and to his Son, Jesus Christ. The Father, his Son, Jesus Christ, and all believers have all things in common. All the resources of each and the wondrous relationship are at the disposal of the others. Such is the grace of our God and of his Son. And I love that so much because he's getting to the essence of what fellowship is. And what he's saying is that the essence is a sharing with another person. He says that it means that we share in the same resources with another person. Now, maybe initially you're not understanding what that means. What that means is that we have all of God's resources at our disposal. When we are in fellowship with him, we get to share in those resources. And see, this is why Paul could say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If, if, if God is for me, who can be against me? Because we get to share in this with him. But then he says that means that we share the same responsibilities. Now that's a little bit deeper because that means his mission. That means his will. That, that means his holiness. We share in these responsibilities as we are in fellowship with him. Now there are a couple of implications here that I want to make sure we understand as it relates to this concept. And the first one is this. To be in fellowship with Christ is to share in a common life with him. In other words, true fellowship leads to true reflection. If you're taking notes, write that down. True fellowship leads to true reflection. In other words, you cannot be in fellowship with Christ and yet look and act nothing like him. It's simply not possible. True fellowship leads to true reflection. Now, the second thing is this. The idea of fellowship with God, this deep sharing one with another, man, this is so important, means that Jesus cannot, he cannot simply be an add-on to the rest of your life. That simply cannot be the case. When we enter into fellowship with Jesus, we enter into a relationship of a shared life with him. That means we share our life with him. We give him our life. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. That's what it means to obey his every command. That's what it means to, to give him our talents and our abilities. We share that with him. And in response, he shares his life with us. Think about that. He shares his power. He shares his righteousness. He shares his eternal nature with us because we have this shared relationship. That's what fellowship is. And so here are some good questions that you might want to begin to ponder in your own life. Do I have this shared experience with him? Do I have this shared existence with him? Have I given him my time? 
Have I given him my agenda? Have I given him my desires? Have I shared these things with him? And on the flip side, have I felt the ease of him sharing his love with me? Man, have I felt the the lightness of him sharing his grace? Have I felt him sharing his joy with me? Is this shared experience evident in my life? Because this is how John finishes his introduction. He says in verse four, these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. These things we're writing so that our our joy, our collective joy would be made complete. Here's what he's trying to say. I'm writing this so that the joy of Christ would be in you. I'm writing this so that you would have this shared experience with him of joy. That's why I'm writing this. Now let's slow down for a second and let's let's be honest with ourselves. Let's be really transparent, okay? And I want you to answer this inward. How many of you would say that you're lacking in joy? How many would say this is just something in my life that isn't where it needs to be? As I survey my day-to-day actions, truth be told, I'm, I'm more angry than anything. I'm more sad than anything. I'm more anxious than anything. I'm, I'm lacking in joy. Charles Spurgeon says this, if any of you have lost the joy of the Lord, I pray you do not think it a small loss. I pray that you don't think that is insignificant. And John says, no, these things we write so that our joy would be made complete. See, this is not the first time that this concept is coming up in John's life. Because if we go back to the gospel of John, we see a story that reveals the same exact principles. At this point in scripture, John records a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. And this is what Jesus tells them. He says, hey guys, listen, I'm the vine, you are the branches. In other words, what he's saying is, I'm I'm the source, I'm the foundation. So here's what you need to do, abide in me. Abide in the source, that's what you need to do. Now we're actually gonna talk more about abiding later in this series, but from a high level standpoint, this word simply means to dwell. It means to settle in, to remain in something. I want you to think about that in relation to Christ, to dwell, to settle in, to remain with him. This is what he's asking for. But watch how he wraps this up in verse 11. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. See, here's the point that Jesus and later John are trying to make. Our joy is only made complete when we enter into fellowship when we enter into relationship with him, that's it, that's it. We will never have complete joy apart from him, which, listen, guys, means that the more and more we lean into him and the more and more that we submit to him, as we look to him as our ultimate object of worship and affection, our joy is made more and more complete. This is where it's found. This is where it's at. Now, if a few minutes ago, you admitted to yourself that maybe you're lacking in joy. If you were honest with yourself and you said, honestly, I'm just, I'm missing out here. I would, I would pay special attention to this because maybe that means you've been looking to the wrong things for joy. Maybe that means you've been searching in the wrong places. You're putting your hope in the wrong sources. And this is what Jesus says. If you want joy, come to me. Abide in me. Be in fellowship with me. This is where your joy is found. Now I want to wrap this up 
by backtracking just a little bit. And I want to go to verse number two because John kind of sneaks something in here that is of the utmost importance. Okay, it's a very brief statement, but it's something that is so important for us to read and understand. Let's go back to verse two. This is what he said. And the life was manifested. And we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. John says, I testify. I'm, I'm proclaiming to you the eternal life. See, guys, what's so cool about John being the writer here, what's so cool about John being the source of this information is that he has firsthand knowledge. He was an eyewitness to these things. And in fact, these are words that he has ripped from the very mouth of Jesus. If we go to the gospel of John chapter three, verse 16, Jesus has a conversation with Nicodemus where he says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, this is what John hears from Jesus. This is what he later records to us. In two Greek words, he gives us the best news that we could ever imagine, and that is that eternal life is available in Jesus. Listen, guys, not only is he real, not only is he personal, but he's the redeemer. He's the deliverer. He's the savior for those that might believe in him. And this is what John is trying to proclaim to us even today. If you could stand with me. One of the things that I love so much about John's introduction here is he seems to write these words that are able to meet us wherever we might be at. What I mean when I say that is maybe you've never realized the reality of Christ. That as John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. Maybe you've never realized that. But maybe you have realized that, and maybe you've just never understood that you can have a personal relationship with him. Like, like, like you can know him. You can be in fellowship with him. But maybe you've never realized that he is the eternal life. That through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, that we can have eternal life through him. In other words, he's paid the price. In other words, he's taken God's wrath on our behalf so that we could have eternal life. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you find yourself in that position this morning, I would encourage you I would encourage you to confess with your mouth, to believe in your heart, and you will be saved. Eternal life is available to you through Christ. If we could just close our eyes, even if you're watching from home, if we could just close our eyes, because what I want to do now is 
is just lean in. God has spoken through his word. I just wanna lean in. And I want you to ask yourself, what is the Holy Spirit trying to speak to me? What is he trying to tell me? Maybe it's to be strong in your faith. Maybe it's to be encouraged in your situation. Or maybe it's the revelation that Jesus has paid the price for you and all you have to do is believe and trust in him. Whatever that is, would you lean into it? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to your people in only the way that you can because I don't know what everybody's going through. I don't know what season of life everybody's in, but you do. Pray that you would speak, pray that you would move for the good of your people, for the glory of your name. We lean into you. We lovingly gaze at you as Lord and Savior of our lives.